From the heart of Austin, Texas, hello and welcome to Time Well Spent. Brought to you by the Central Texas Regional Mobility Authority, I'm Neil Spells. And throughout the course of this podcast, we'll dissect how area residents define quality of life in Central Texas. Each episode will feature a dynamic conversation with subject matter experts on one quality of life factor that's important to all of us. We're going to look back on where we've been, where we are today, and where we're going and what's needed to get us to the future that we all hope for. So during this first episode, we're going to discuss economic development, uh, we're going to discuss jobs, and also innovation. Our first guest today is Bob Inman. Bob was the CEO and founder of MCC, and that company I refer to as the beginning of the high-tech revolution in Austin. When they decided to locate here, that triggered. There were other companies here, but that triggered the beginning of the tech growth here in the Austin area. Bob uh, has stayed here in Austin, retired admiral, uh, a great history uh, with our national security back uh, before coming to Austin, and now he's here and invests in high-tech companies. In fact, Bob— As has, a professor at UT Austin. And, oh, I started to say as a professor at UT, uh, and weren't you interim dean twice? Unhappily, yes. <laughs> okay. For the School of Public Affairs at the University of Texas at yeah. Bob, glad to have you here. Thank and you. Participate in this conversation. Now, Catherine Morris, your general counsel and senior director of public affairs for Samsung. Now, and you've been active here. You're a lawyer, uh, Fulbright and Jaworski in the past, and uh, and very active civically in in the community. And what we'd like to hear from you a little bit later is how uh, the impact. When Samsung decided to come to Austin, it was extremely significant. Uh, second, I think, only to uh, uh, MCC followed by Semitech coming in here. Well, Neil, I'm glad to be here and talking about the Samsung story, which is truly remarkable. And to talk about how that initial investment almost 21 years ago has turned oh, into— Has it been 21 it years? It has been 21 years. Wow. We celebrated our 20th anniversary in, in 2016, and— um, and then today, um, we have 7,000 people who have badges to work on our oh facility. So oh that's pretty that's, remarkable. That's, that's quite a story. We'll get into that very well. And then finally, we've got Kerry Hall. Now, Kerry here is the president of the Central Texas region. I guess, is that the way we phrase it? The Austin region. Austin yes. region mm-hmm. of Texas Capital Bank. And Texas Capital Bank is primarily a commercial bank. Uh, you don't run out and make home loans or make loans to uh, individual consumers in that sense. So as as a result, you've been heavily involved in the business community here and its growth. And, of course, very active with the Chamber of Commerce. You're senior vice president now for the uh, Austin Chamber of Commerce. And prior to this, uh, or not prior to, you came along the ranks, uh, and now you're the chair of Opportunity Austin. Exactly. So banking is my day job. <laughs> Economic <laughs> development has been kind of a passion of mine. Yeah. I've been involved um, since literally the early 2000s when Austin went through the dot-com bust. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, unemployment skyrocketed. We lost 39,000 jobs in a couple of years. It was it was a tough time. And oh, really, Austin really wasn't uh, focused on what to do in, in, in a situation like that. So uh, some of Austin's... Um, most influential business people got together and created Opportunity Austin, and it has been amazingly successful. And we'll we'll get into that and what who, who's done what there and and the success, and we'll talk about kind of maybe what's in the pipeline, what's out there that nobody knows about that uh, is uh, possibly going to affect our future in this sense. Okay, let me start real quickly here with uh, uh, kind of ancient history in this sense. 
uh, and I'll use 1983, Bob, when you uh, brought MCC to Austin. Prior to that time, we were a state government paycheck town. Uh, state university, state capital, Bergstrom Air Force Base, uh, the Internal Revenue Service had a service center here, and uh, the dominant e economic push in this city was a government paycheck. And, of course, all the other higher education, Houston Tillotson, uh, Southwestern University, even uh, San Marcos, uh, at that time Southwest Texas, all those payrolls were there. The key element there is that none of those entities paid property taxes. The property taxes in Austin were paid primarily by the homeowner. And we were a small town. I mean, just a few hundred thousand people at that point. And uh, uh, several leaders in this community decided we need to really expand the property tax base here. We can't tax the Capitol. We can't tax Memorial Stadium, that University Tower. It's not going to pay any taxes. So we've got to expand the tax base. So there was an effort started by the chamber to try to attract industry that had good-paying jobs who could pay property taxes as well. And that was kind of the, uh, the situation that existed up until 1983. Now, Bob, turning to you in that regard, uh, tell us about what MCC was and where it was going. Yeah, Let, Let's look a little broader at the base, okay. Neil, in that you did already have uh, IBM. We did. They were making selectric typewriters, Correct. by the way. <laughs> and you had Motorola and AMD right. making chips right. in the process, and Tracor, a homegrown enterprise. So there was a bit of an industrial base paying those taxes, but they had little national visibility That's by their own decisions true. in the process. Uh, you gave me more credit. I'm actually <laughs> not a founder, but I'm the executor of the vision. <laughs> Bill Norris, who was right. the chairman of Control Data, brought together executives across the semiconductor and computer industry that they needed to combine research activities in order to compete with the Japanese. It wasn't but the now, Chinese minute, that were was, worried that, about then. It was the Japanese, Japanese but that, that were going to take over. in violation of antitrust laws. Well, it was, a, it was a, the question of whether or not antitrust would permit it. And after we got started, we got the National Cooperative Research Act of 1984 passed, which took away any after antitrust the fact. wars. <laughs> but in, uh, I was approached to take this concept and execute it and decided I want to do a public site selection. Uh, the company said, we don't do public ones, and they said, let's try. 57 cities in 27 states bid. George Kosmetsky had pushed Governor White that they really needed to be in this competition. Now, George Kosmetsky was dean of the college had, was just stepping down as the right. dean of the business the, uh, school. Business at UT. school. Right. And it was the founder of Teledyne. Right. When... Uh, so Governor White came to Chicago on the 18th of March with a team. Dallas, Austin, San Antonio were the Texas part of that 57 cities. Um, they only had an hour, but uh, a professor of electrical engineering named Ben Streetman got the attention of the committee in the process. So as we went from 57 down to San Diego, Austin, Atlanta, and the Research Triangle, uh, I called Governor White to tell him that Austin was going to be in the finals. And he turned to his chief staff, 
Pike Powers and said, you're going to lead this effort and don't leave anything to chance. We want to win it. It's that important. Um, terrific effort was put together. You were part of it right. in the process. Uh, the team came here to look at Austin. Uh, we had an advanced group looking at it. Uh, we began with a at the atrium of the LBJ School with a breakfast hosted, hosted by Lady Bird Johnson with the lieutenant governor, the governor. So they really rolled out all the fire. Well, and you had uh, Jack Kilby from Texas A&M, yep. a superstar. Well, and we'd it. had the, the uh, chancellor of the A&M system oh, yeah. as well as chancellor of the UT system all had taken part in it. Seven fundamental criteria. Cost of living, quality of life, tax climate, business climate, quality of public education for employees of children, transportation systems. How long would it take you to commute on the ground? What were the air connections to the rest of the country? And finally, access to graduate students in an absolute first-rate series of programs in computer science and electrical engineering. Well, you uh, mentioned something there, Bob. You you just hit kind of a hot button with me in this regard, too. when you talked about uh, transportation, uh, we're talking about air as well as ground. And in Correct. fact, the joke was at that time that uh, if you die and go to hell, you're going to have to change planes in Dallas. <laughs> you had to go to Dallas or Houston yeah. to change planes to go almost anywhere in the country. Yet you could drive anywhere in the city in 15 or 20 minutes. Um, what MCC really accomplished was bringing national publicity to Austin as a locale, rather than going to Silicon Valley or Boston, which is where the Cognizant had thought uh, this enterprise would be located. Bob, let me uh, ask you to amplify something we talked about before. You were a graduate of the University of Texas. Correct. And uh, then went on for a distinguished military career, et cetera. But what I'm interested in, you referenced the University of Texas. The University of Texas, when they, as LBJ used to say, put the big pot into the little pot uh, in order to lay out incentives for MCC. Describe those. You'll, you'll recall that the four finalists were San Diego, Austin, Atlanta, and the Research Triangle. And it was UT Austin that set uh, Austin separate from the other three. Uh, North Carolina had Duke, North Carolina, North Carolina State surrounding it. UC San Diego hadn't yet taken off. They didn't yet have an engineering school. They just had sciences. Atlanta had Georgia Tech. Joe Pettit is present. So it was competitive, but it didn't begin to have the breadth. So what they put together as part of the package to attract us was they would do eight $1 million chairs between computer science and electrical engineering to a track top quality for faculty. And in 83, $1 million chair was a pretty big deal. Pretty big, yeah. And the other was 750000 a year for 10 years for grant aid for graduate students in computer science and electrical engineering. So to make sure they could attract the brightest kids from around the country to come. Uh, Peter O'Donnell right. okay. called me. And said, Peter O'Donnell Bobby, is a benefactor from Dallas. Yeah. Bobby, how important were those eight $1 million chairs in the decision to come? And I said, they were big. He said, well, let's do this right. I'll give the $8 million if 
they'll go out and raise another eight from other people, and then the system match it with 16. So let's do 32 $1 million chairs instead of eight. And that's what gave UT Austin the huge, huge. impetus yeah. going forward. As uh, Peter Flan was the right. president at that stage of the game. Well, and uh, university also, did they build a building for you? Part of the deal also was they would build a building and lease it to us for a dollar a year for 10 years. And that became the facility out on the West Campus. J.J. Uh, uh, Pickle Research Center out there Pickle today. J.J. Pickle Research yeah. Center. Yeah, and the time frame. Uh, yeah, it's remarkable to think about that decision back in 1983 time frame and how that continues to bear fruit today and certainly was probably instrumental in the ability to attract Samsung Austin Semiconductor back in 1996. Yeah, yeah Catherine, those— Pike, Pike left the governor's office, went to Fulbright and Jaworski— and became hugely active with the chamber in developing the pitch for other entities. That led to Semitech coming. They focused on the private sector side. Samsung became uh, one of the highly attractive possibilities. But the real, the first one to come was 3M. 3M oh, that, had looked right. at Austin yeah. and yeah. had passed it by, and they were one of our shareholders. And when they said, maybe we better look again. So they established the big facility. Schlumberger followed, did the same sort of thing. So MCC's real contribution was publicity nationally for Austin as a place to do high tech. Well, and I would add to that, Bob, the uh, introduction or expansion of knowledge about Austin to your shareholders the companies, how many companies made there up MCC? There were 15. 15 that companies. That grew eventually to 21. And that, that were all over the United Including States. Motorola and AMD. Who were also here. But not IBM. They'd just gotten out of an antitrust lawsuit, and they told me they'd love to be part of it, but they couldn't take the risk. But those people, those companies, sent their best and brightest researchers to Austin to work at MCC. And the job was they would conduct the research under the aegis of MCC and all that it had to offer. And then they go back to their businesses and take that research and put it into use however they saw fit. But the researchers who were sent here and the, uh, the shareholders of the companies saw Austin for what it was. And I think that triggered also this, well, the idea of— uh, We had another—hell, I had insisted on having absolute authority on hiring people. But I'd conceded that they could at least veto who would be the program manager for the seven major programs. And then another good Dallas friend, Ross Perot, stepped up and uh, said, you got to make this work, knowing the air situation. So he loaned us a Lear 35 for two years. So when we found somebody we wanted to be a candidate program, we didn't put them through having to change planes in Dallas or Houston. We sent the Lear, picked them up and their family, brought them to Austin, and if we wanted them, we got them. It's <laughs> quite, quite a story. Now, Samsung, obviously a different recruiting story and all, but the significance of Samsung, South Korean company, world leader in what they were doing, picked Austin. Now, how did that come about? Well, it's it's interesting. University of Texas plays a role, and there there is multifaceted. Um, Samsung, the South Korean chip makers, were being um, pummeled really um, in um, you know 
for trade protectionist activities in South Korea. So they wanted to to move manufacturing to the United States to help them with their with the antitrust claims coming up from DRAM manufacturing in South Korea. So um, it was Hyundai Semiconductor at the time became Hynix subsequently, and then Samsung started looking about the same time for for sites. Hyundai actually um, made us selected. Eugene, Oregon. It was a big deal. They beat Samsung to the punch. And about six months later, um, Samsung settled on um, Austin. But they were, they were looking at places like outside of the Portland area where um, I think Intel already had some manufacturing taking place, Arizona, Silicon Valley, and, and so forth. Um, and why did they pick Austin? Well, they picked Austin group? because you already had semiconductor here. You you had Motorola operating fabs. You had AMD. You had this real, um, you you already had this ecosystem in existence. You had a city that was familiar with semiconductor. There were there were you know, they understood the regulations, and then you and then they were welcome. And the state said, "Here, here's property." Um, I mean, Samsung bought the property, yeah. but they you know they extended Palmer Lane. I, it was a field. There was no road in front of the the ultimately the land that was procured. Um, it, you know, it was a it was a hard sell, but the University of Texas you know played a big role in that as well. Um, you had you had the ecosystem. You know, you, you're going to be able to get talent, but the university actually had put Austin on the map in South Korea because. Even long before Samsung even came here, what I've learned is that you had a real high enrollment of South Korean students at yes. the University of Texas, and it was largely because it was such a good deal. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I don't know if that's still yeah. the case today as far as— Relatively the, yeah, on cost. Um, yeah, from, a, from a standpoint of foreign students coming to study the United States. So there was familiar, familiarity in South Korea about the university, and that's very important. The South Koreans— yeah, I, th- I think things are obviously changing, but have tended to be very brand conscious. And they wanted, you know, if you if you went to University of Texas um, and you went back to South, people understood that. And so, so there was actually some knowledge of Austin. So it was all of these factors. It was it was a push. Um, Samsung was obviously wanted, but I mean, other obviously other jurisdictions wanted them as well. Catherine, uh, let's let's don't downplay this because this is really significant. Uh, obviously, as you mentioned, it was the first investment outside South Korea, anywhere in the world, when they came to Austin. How much was that investment in terms of dollars? Well, you know, initially, I think it was, you know, maybe close to a billion. But let me look at it this way. Today, as we sit here today, um, you know, March 20th, 2017, Samsung has invested $17 billion in Austin, Texas. Whoa. Now, wait and a minute. I'll- Let that sink in. Samsung, as a company— has invested $17 billion in the Austin area and, for right. this plant. A lot of that has to do with the fact that the the that the um the site started out as a as a as a DRAM memory chip factory, okay, just which is a commodity chip. Then we built another huge um, 1.5 million square foot facility um, and and put equipment in to make flash memory and just only half of that facility. Today, all of those tools have been ripped out, new tools have been put in, and we make large-scale integrated circuits for mobile devices and, uh, and other devices, too. We're, a, we're a, uh, what we call a pure-play foundry. Now Samsung makes chips not just for Samsung Electronics, but also for many other. By the end of this year, we'll have 25 different customers. And those, those wafer fabrication tools are extremely expensive. We call it. We have, we have a, um, a row of tools. We call it billion-dollar row because 
their photolithography tools, and they cost almost a hundred million dollars a piece. Oh my goodness! Oh my. So it's a, it's it's a um, it's a capital intensive um, industry, and the equipment is really really well, expensive. What about people? How many employees do you have, and what type of employees are they? So today we have about. Um, Direct employees, we have about 3,500. About 3,000 of those workers are at our at our manufacturing facility, at the, at, the, at the fab, as we call it. But you talk about economic development, we have 300 to 350 um, engineers at a, at a, a chip design facility, um, which is located off 360. Um, and that, that was established in, uh, I think, I believe 2010. 2010 or 2011, we opened up that facility and it's just grown tremendously. Um, we have another several thousand employees, workers, I should say. They're not our employees, but they come to work, you know, for 40 hours every week at um, at our site. Talk about economic development. Now, th- those dollars are being poured through this economy phenomenally in this sense, and they're, and they're fairly high-level, high-paying jobs. Well, th- well these are. I mean, the average uh, wage now is well over $70,000 for an employee. Um Interestingly, in November, we announced that in 2017, we'd be hiring about um, three to 500 new workers and investing another billion dollars in the facility. Um, but pr- even prior to that, we had an economic impact analysis done and um, last summer, and we got an opinion, I think it's probably conservative, that Samsung pumps $3.6 billion in economic activity into the region every year and drives about 11,000 jobs. Now, now, this is amazing. And you talk about, come back, another word we used at the outset, but I want to underscore it here, and that's innovation. Samsung modified what it was doing and is innovating and has kept up with the times and with the future in that sense. And it's been wildly successful here. Neil, if I yeah, can Bob. add and, and pull together getting ready for Carrie on this. Um, Support from the governor uh, leading the effort that brought MCC. Support by the congressman, Jake Pickle, which brought Semitech. Chamber played a role supporting all of those. City was largely absent in the bulk of it. And, in fact, they played a negative role. There was a point in time when the mayor and the city council sent out a letter that we were getting too much traffic, we were getting too busy, nobody should come to Austin without checking with uh, the city council. Happily, industry ignored that and went ahead and you got the scale of investment. But the point I'm after here, the failure to invest in improving the quality of the public schools, which is where Austin ranked lowest of the finalists, and transportation. We have a beautiful airport with nonstop connections all over the country every day, but it now takes you half an hour to get from the campus to downtown in the process. So the failure to build infrastructure to move people to keep up with attractiveness has probably been, our, in my view, our single greatest failure. Well, and one of the fears I have going forward is the possibility that we might not see the importance of incentives going forward. And there was a common thread in both of your stories, and that was there were in monetary incentives provided to these companies. I mean, these companies are being courted by some of the finest cities in the country. Every city in the country would love to have a Samsung. Incentives and, and talent. 
incentives and talent are the number uh, number one and number two most important things to attract these these great companies who employ our people, pay these people so they can send their children to school every day, improve the schools, pay more taxes. I mean, we need these companies well, to come here. I'm so glad you brought this up because not only does Samsung have this huge investment already, we have the potential to build another fabrication plant here in Austin. I mean, certainly we have the acreage. Um, well, we that's right. Out northeast. Plant. Yes, yeah. I know. Just on our campus right now. And so in the next couple of years, I believe that um, that our headquarters in Seoul will be looking to add capacity. And we, and we will be part of that conversation in Austin. How do we make that happen? We are the largest uh, single-site uh, tax, property taxpayer in Travis County by far. And that's even though we have economic incentive agreements, we pay we'll pay about twenty five million dollars in property tax this year. Had we if we did not have economic incentives, we'd pay maybe fifty million in property taxes. So so then then we would be yeah you know, we're exponentially the largest property taxpayer now. Can you imagine if we didn't have the of these these incentives in place? And yet we continue to run into this rhetoric that that's corporate welfare. Well, we're a heavy property tax state. You can't attract a big capital intensive manufacturing complex without having some way to to try to minimize to some degree, level the playing field, I call it, of the mm-hmm. property tax burden on, a, on, a, on an industry um, like Samsung. And yet I continue to um, you know, tr- try to talk about, gee, we're, you know, Samsung's good for Austin. We're driving middle-skill jobs. We're driving jobs for, for folks who are graduating from our high schools. We can put them through um, programs at ACC and other at, at, at TSTC. Um, we're not even talking about having to go off to four-year schools and and give these people high-paying middle-skilled jobs. Um, and I think that's really what, in, in today's environment, you know, we hear city council talking about that. That's obviously very important to keep that middle class going. And yet my fear, Carrie, is that that um, that folks don't understand that that in, in incentives, um, it's it's they're not tax. Breaks really. You know, taxes will be more. Pe- taxes will be paid if these incentives are strategically um, offered out to to companies that are really going to round out our economy. Catherine, their investments. I mean, we all make investments in our businesses to try to make our businesses grow. When you compare that seventeen billion dollars that Samsung has brought to this e- economy in Austin versus the small amount of incentives that were given, exactly, it's the best return on investment Austin yeah. could have made. Yeah, uh, Carrie, let's, let's talk about that a little bit more here. Uh, with your job at, at the Chamber, you're talking, uh, I guess, practically daily uh, to companies who are looking at Austin. Uh, and you heard Bob and Catherine reference uh, the criteria that are out there for them looking at us. What do you feel, uh, one, are the most attractive points that we have to sell today? And then, two, uh, what are the things we have to overcome? You know, every Monday I receive an updated list of all the businesses that are looking to, to move to Austin, and I am amazed at the depth of that list. How many on that list? Oh, I think there's there's over 75. Oh, you're sure, kidding. Right now, yes. Right now, yes. actively looking at, at actively Austin. Actively looking with, with a, you know, a project manager assigned to them. <clears throat> and so, again, though, they're not just on Austin's list. They're on, they're on 15 other cities' lists across this country. It is extremely competitive what's going on. Now, we clearly have, you know, the medical school has has changed the playing field here. We are really focusing on biotech and, and medical and healthcare related businesses. Um, 
But there's still a lot of technology-related companies that want to move to Austin. There, and that, and you know how broad that runs the gamut. I mean, there's just the number of companies. So there's a lot of activity there. Um, but clearly, there are some. We are facing some headwinds um, from the incentive standpoint. From um, not so much human capital. Austin is still the human capital. I mean, we still have an amazing workforce. And what we don't have in Austin, the beautiful thing is, is that people are willing to move to Austin because it is such a wonderful place to live. So some employers say, well, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find the type of talent I need today because, you know, your unemployment rate is is super, really low. We're very fortunate here. But what I do know is somebody graduating from MIT, University of Wisconsin, um, Stanford, uh, wherever, they're willing to move to Austin, Texas because of how what a beautiful uh, quality of life we have here. But and cost of living. And cost of living is still low. It's gone up, but, yes. but favorable compared to so many other parts of the country. Right. And there's no better way to try to tackle the affordability problem than by spreading out the tax base, getting more p- taxpayers in well, here you other than homeowners. You hit a key point there, Carrie, that's probably not, much, uh, not a big part of the conversation about affordability. Uh, spreading the tax base is critical to that. But we hear the city council saying, "Like, well, we don't want those kind of jobs yeah. coming to Austin." And and what do we? What and 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 and, and folks, so that's just going to put that's just going to drive up housing costs and put uh, more more cars on the road. And and how do we how do we respond? How do we respond to that? Yeah, I mean, there is no doubt we need we need jobs that have salaries all in the that that in the, the whole, whole spectrum, whole range, the whole yeah. spectrum, and and that's. One of the focuses of Opportunity Austin now is to focus not just on regional um, offices for big uh, employers, but also to get the headquarters to move here. Because if you get the headquarters of the company to move here, you have all of the jobs from, you know, the the lower paying to the middle income and the high paying jobs all moving here at one time. So we really are focusing on that as well. But you have to recognize that bringing in High-paying jobs to Austin, Texas, does have the uh, the impact of moving everybody up and increasing the tax base and spreading that that burden a- across more people. Um, so, uh, well, it supports our retail operations here in town, the dry cleaning shops, uh, the uh, things like that that oh. are all throughout here. Absolutely. Now, yeah, as as we near an end to this discussion, I, I want to really focus on. What we're, what we're looking at in terms of problems, Bob, you brought it up a couple of times very eloquently, and that is we got a transportation problem. Everybody, everybody cusses uh, the the crowds of the uh, cars, uh, cusses the congestion in this sense. So obviously that is a focus that needs to be addressed going forward. Uh, what about mass transportation? Would that help any uh, uh, attraction of, of people here, or do we still need to be- – Focus on how do you get from Cedar Park to the job downtown, or how do you go from Hutto? Uh, to, because we are a region. There's no doubt we're five counties that are really part of one whole. I mean, regional mobility is is one of the headwinds that we're facing that I was mentioning earlier, and it's probably going to have to be a mixed bag of tools. You're just not going to fix it all with, with roads, although roads are going to play a major part in it. Um, we have to be open to considering all types of modes of transportation. And, and it's more than just roads. It's smart systems for managing the flow of traffic. And all of us have encountered uh, sitting for two minutes while no cars no are cars moving in the opposite direction <laughs> and it's backed up behind. Yeah. Things that other cities have already learned how to solve. So these are not 
issues that are that complex, but it takes a focus from the top of the city for how do you enhance the the just experience of going to work. I know at Samsung we have a lot of folks who work shift work, so they'll work seven to seven, um, three days, and then next week, you know, seven to seven for four days. So these opposite shifts, and so those folks don't seem to complain that much because they're. You know, they're you're they're right. coming before and right. after you know, rush hour. And I think that's a good thing about our company is that we're helping out in that regard. But Well, I notice even the hospitals are doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Nurses are working uh, four days a week, right. uh, 12-hour shifts. And right. But, we're, but we're, we know that we have to be – we know that we're going to have to be – Samsung's is other big companies. We're going to have to be part of the solution as well and not just look around and – you know, expect the city council, you know, to or, or, or government to solve all of our problems, and um, we're participating in a mobility study right now, and 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 you know, we're going to look at need to make an investment to really try to help our workers think about carpooling, think about van pooling, um, and we we really all need to commit to take cars off the road during that rush hour period. I mean, it's it's when we leave here and I drive up to Samsung. Uh, which is going to be about probably 11 miles from this location. It's not going to take me any time at all. You know, I'm going to – and I'll think, what's we don't have a traffic problem here. But if I was going to make the same drive at um, – In morning if, drive. At, yeah, or in the afternoon, it's like forget it. Yeah, I travel a lot. And therefore, I drive in Los Angeles. I drive in San Francisco. Uh, I don't drive in New York. I do the subway. But the reality is – Austin traffic isn't that bad compared to a lot of other major cities, but it could be made better. Okay, let's summarize this uh, for each of you. Uh, If you could think, uh, look ahead. Bob, what do you see happening here? And each of you, uh, Carrie and Catherine, what do you see happening to Austin here in the immediate future? I worry about the legislature's continued reduction in investment in education. And whether that will impact on the University of Texas at Austin, continuing to be one of the 10 best uh, in the That's how you attract students. That's how you attract talent. And so that's a worry, even with the current legislative session. Uh, For another one of these meetings, focus on quality of public education. Because a lot of the people who come, they're young, they're just out of school, but they start families. And the quality of the education available for their kids and the more senior executives you want to attract who already have families, that's a big issue. And it's one where we lag a lot of other cities in the process. So the long-term prospects, great pool of talent, think we'll continue to refresh it. Quality of life still is high. uh, And it's that mix, that breadth. We've added museums, uh, things that we didn't have when MCC came uh, that add to the general improvement culture in the process. Um, But mobility is going to be a critical feature of how how well we cope with the growth potential. Carrie, what do you think? Well, I'd hate to see us not take advantage of this beautiful opportunity we have in front of us with, with the medical school. Um, industries like to move to cities where there is a hub of other businesses like theirs because then they can they have more opportunities to hire. Company uh, Individuals aren't afraid to, to move there because if they lose their job, there isn't another business like that that they could go to work for. We need to hire a full – we need to bring or recruit, attract a full spectrum of biomedical-related businesses now 
and take advantage of this gem. You know, the Dell Medical School, I think, is the first medical school at a major university in the la- built in the last 50 years. We are so fortunate to have it. We really need to focus on it. We need to do whatever we can to start to recruit a number of businesses to create that hub or that that uh, that environment um, uh, ecosystem of biomedical businesses and take advantage of what we we've, we've invested in. We, we know the potential, Neil, that this offers. Looking at San Diego, when they didn't get the semiconductor computer push, they turned to healthcare. And they built up the University of California, San Diego, medical school, all the rest. And if you look, it's one of the great places in the country for biotechnology at this point in time. So it isn't just a wistful hope of what we might get out of the addition of Dell Medical School. There is clearly an example of where that happens There's a clear if we path. simply facilitate yeah. the rest of it. Yeah. There is one company that is absolutely a game changer that is looking at Austin right now. It'll be announced, I think, in the next two or three weeks, 700 to 1,000 jobs over the next seven or eight years. Related to biotech? Yes. And and it will attract so many more fantastic companies. Keep your fingers crossed. Catherine? Well, I I just think that um, we, when I'm just listening to this, I'm hoping that we're going to have some some leaders step up and help to articulate, you know, for the the folks of Austin, a way that, a way forward, you know, that, 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 some of these problems we feel bedeviled by are solvable, you know, that, that, that I guess that um, necessity is the mother of all invention and that we'll figure out a way um, to, to cope with, uh, you know, t- t- traffic and affordability because other great cities have done – are making progress, let's say, in, the, in that regard. But, you know, stopping and just standing still and not trying to attract jobs just isn't the right way to go. We, we know that. And um, I am um, – and I just had this thought that hit, hit me. I, I can still remember, um, and you know, being you know young. Maybe I was in college, and um, maybe it was the mid '80s, early '80s, and um, we're visiting uh, some some friends of my parents, and their son was um, had just gone to work with these guys named Bill Gates and Paul Allen, <laughs> and um, and 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 there was this compu- this idea of this computer and. This 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 friend of my father said, you know, one day everyone's going to have a computer on their desk, and that just seemed like what? You know, I mean, you couldn't even yeah. fathom it. Yeah. You know, I just had yeah. started getting adjusted to the electric typewriter, <laughs> and um, so we don't even yeah. and that I mean, just that I, so we don't even know what's going to happen. And I think it, that's exciting. It's exciting about having South by Southwest here in Austin and these. Just incredibly smart people coming up with all these ideas and solutions. And I suspect that, you know, maybe 25, 30 years from now, and I'm going to be, you know, talking to, to grandchildren and say, we just couldn't imagine anyone having a self-drive. You know, when we were, we were going to drive our own cars, they're going to be like, you mean you drove your car back then? And, and you know, that that's... That we, yeah. you know, that's probably going to be the case, and we just can't even fathom it. But that we need to, well, you know, keep moving forward. Catherine right? has such a good point, and Austin's such a great place to be for that vision of the future. Catherine Morris, Carrie Hall, Bob Inman, thank you all so much. It's been a, a very enlightening uh, and insightful conversation, and thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. For more about the quality of life in Central Texas and to catch our next podcast episode, visit mobilityauthority.com. That's mobilityauthority.com. And until next time, I'm Neil Spells.